Hello and welcome to Lee to Be. I am your host, Lee Moskowitz. This is the sassiest podcast for B2B, and I have the absolute best guest for my first <laughs> podcast. If you don't know Evan Patterson yet, you're about to. Um, so let's let's have a really quick who are you and maybe one sentence if that's possible, because there's a I lot know. about you. I'm everyone's worst nightmare. Is that is that? I worth? don't think that's true. <laughs> I don't think that's true at all. I think I think you motivate so many people on LinkedIn, especially the gay and queer people who don't want to post as loudly as you do. So I don't everything think you're everyone's do worst for, nightmare. <laughs> everything I do is for the gays, the the, the gays, the girls, and the theys. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's how the Gen Z says it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Well, there's also um, there's also E's and M's and A's now too. I've, I've been learning about the different pronouns as well. I read Gender Queer, and that taught me a lot. As a member of the Legitimate Claw community, you know, and I got my premium membership recently as well. Um, no jokes aside, though. Hello, everybody. Evan or Ev? Here they? Not really that picky. Um, B2B SaaS content community, social media influencer, marketer, consultant, and advisor. I think that sums it up. That's a lot of things. That's a that's like the Daenerys. Like, oh, never mind. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna nerd out about Game of Thrones. <laughs> I'm not happy. I'm not happy with how they ended. So I'm not gonna give them any attention. Am I a but bad like, person? I've never seen Game of Thrones. Don't don't bother with it. They ended it terribly. <laughs> I, oh, I, I hear, I'm aware. <laughs> I hear great things. Literally, everybody tells me to watch the new Game of Thrones on HBO. The new There's one. There's a new one. Yeah, it's it's like the prequels and stuff, but I, I just can't do it to myself again. I just I, I have just officially can't. hit the age where I turn on um have you watched the VMAs and you just go like who is this? Who is that? Who's that? Who's this? That's me now. I've hit that age. And that's how I am with television as well. Where like I will load up like, I just started watching Insatiable on Netflix. I was like, ooh, this new show, it's great. came out in 2019. 2019. I am late to the party again. I, I've hit the age now where, like, I need to find a token 19-year-old to just keep me up to date on everything going forward. I don't even know there's a new Game of Thrones. I had no idea. I didn't know that there was a Will and Grace reboot until it got canceled. Well, that well, no, that I knew about because that was a while ago. I thought you meant there was a new one. So no, no, uh, not another reboot. No, we don't need <laughs> reboots of reboots. I'm not ready for that. <laughs> but like seriously, choosing Evan as our first guest was a no-brainer, and, and here's why: he he's a true powerhouse in the world of personal branding and social selling, making waves and setting trends in the industry. <laughs> But Evan is a passionate advocate for the LGBTQIA or LGBTQA community. Legitimatequa. Legitimatequa. Yeah. Or that one drag queen in the UK that says LGBT because it sounds like a Spanish resort town. Oh, I like that. All right, but let's start with some news before exotic you. Exotic is all about perception and perspective. Exactly. Okay? exactly. From where we're sitting, that's exotic. <laughs> So before we get into like the B2B stuff and community marketing, I wanted to start with some news because I wanted to get your take on this. All right. Okay. So Grindr, and for the straight people listening who don't know what Grindr is, <laughs> you, you really do, just admit it, you know what Grindr is. It's, it's the gay dating app. Um, but Grindr- but Can you tell off- the straight people why Grindr is superior? Not in terms of who is on it, but in how it functions. I don't <laughs> know if I can. I think you can though. I think okay, you can give the so- context on Grindr. 
So to cis hats listening, that means cisgender heterosexual people, for those that don't know, that might be you. Um, By the way, cisgender is not a bad term. Just just want to Yeah, know. I'm cisgender. Like, yeah. Right, exactly. It's not a Elon, slur. Never mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not, don't get Elon. <laughs> don't, not Elon. <laughs> it's too early in the podcast. To I don't talk trust about somebody who took the blue bird and made it look like a really, like, a cheap, um, like a really low rent porn site logo. It's awful. Anyways. A so, non-marketer and brand right. and somebody who fired all marketing and branding people <laughs> well speaking of such so grinder is like so we've all so straight people have tinder right where like you just swipe left and right right and it shows you like how far they are within like a mile or two at the minute at the minimum right a mile okay grinder is a grid okay so instead of swiping left and right there is a grid and in the upper left is the closer they are to you and the further you get away from that upper left spot the further away that person is, down to the foot. You know where somebody... It's literally Pokemon Go for gay men. You are literally just going around hunting for the next Bulbasaur. Okay? But and there, there's bad. different tribes, too, just like in Pokemon. We got water, air, we got bear, we got otter, we got cub, we got twink, we've got... We could go on and on. Anyway, so that's what Grinder is. So keep that in mind. It is. It, it makes every. And this came out way before OkCupid and way before Tinder. So straight people catch up. Anyways, back to the point. <laughs> yeah. So well, I mean, no, but that was good because not everyone uses Grinder like gay men. Um. So but recently, Grinder they they offered its workforce an ultimatum early August: work from the office or leave the firm. And they lost forty five percent of the staff. Now, though, before we even get to that, what some people don't know is that they announced this after the grinder workers announced their intention to unionize. So this, to me, is breaking unions and also just forcing people to, to, to come back or just trying to get layoffs without really doing it. What do you, what do you think about that? And why grinder? Well, first of all, we have to address the the hilarity that is giving people an ultimatum to leave or stay at the firm at a gay dating app. Let that sink in. Pause. Great. Now that you've taken a hit of rush, what we need to discuss here is I completely am under the, some might say conspiracy theory, but I say it's an ideology, that Grindr is the company trying to get away with like not firing people in anticipation of a union and they thought the rest of us would be too stupid to put two and two together which is not just insulting to the people who used to work there and the people that might still work there because let's be honest not everyone can afford to just get up and quit and then also it's insulting to the users and the entire LGBTQ plus community. Like, I would feel like our community tends to derail from societal norms by default. Because, like, once you've come out as not cisgender or not straight, um, being anything other than what's normal, it's just, like, that much easier, I guess. You've kind of already done the hard part of deciding to derail, so there's no chance of re-railing. Pun intended. Um, so, like, I... <laughs> Yeah, thank you, Grinder. Um, so like, wh- what I really get bothered by is like, out of all of the companies, in all of the demographics to do this, this is the like it's pretty high up there in terms of like abhorrent nature and flavor, because now 
it's going, you know, there's going to be some conservative MAGA hat wearing straight person that's going to use this as an indicative behavior of how queer people operate and work. While saying that, though, there are going to be no MAGA hat people that have that are in support of unions. So I don't think that'll happen. But I'm not a fan of anything that queer people do that is stupid without being queer, but being queer just puts a magnifying glass over it. So, Grinder, what the hell were you thinking? You've pissed off your own community, and you're making unethical business decisions. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, unless there's something I don't know, Grinder makes their money from ad revenue. Yeah. And... and- you know, users of 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 Grinder. I don't know if they're necessarily going to stop using Grinder because of the layoffs. I, I doubt that. Um, I doubt but that it, too. But maybe the advertisers like that. That's where it's up to. But again, the advertisers are. I don't know what they are there. Well, there's there's been an increase in um, people going back to the basics when it comes to like dating and hookup culture in the queer community because. Um, you know, after, you know, 10, 15 years of, you know, basically getting a man on delivery, you know, um, it's, I think people kind of got sick and tired of that. So like, I'm noticing like even people that are very into that culture are trying to get, bring back cruising straight people. If you don't know what that means, Google it. This is not the episode for that one, but, um, and I'm, I'm noticing that's been happening. Um, there's also just more apps on the market. We have alternatives. Um, social media, without re- referencing the queer community, is getting smaller and more siloed. So we're seeing that in not just traditional social media, but also networking sites, dating sites, list goes on. We have apps like Scruff, Recon, Growler, list goes on. More niche-specific. So I think um, w- this might just... Ma- it might propel that a little bit, but... I guess only time will tell. I hope that it makes people use it less, but I doubt that it will make people use it less. I just think it's a disappointing story. You know, they're a major app. Uh, LGBTQ people use it. You know, they tend to work from home as well because, one, it's safe for environments, especially not commuting. Um, they don't necessarily need to travel to other places. I just think overall, as as a leader, as an app, and just in the queer community, disappointing grinder, boo. Yeah, and like... Especially with like they've done a lot of objectively really great things for queer people, that just that this actually kind of makes it even more disappointing because they've artificially raised their own bar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, give the app all the all the crap you want to give it if you are more familiar with it in terms of like the people that are on it and the and the way the culture works. That's down to preference at the end of the day of like if you like hookup culture or not, but. It, it it's it's not up for debate that like they've done a lot of money for like um aids and hiv awareness and fundraising um lobbying for queer rights they've they've worked with many law firms they've worked with many nonprofits with helping trans people trans rights during black lives matter grinder was at the front lines of raising money and awareness for and resources dealing with all of those issues that were at such a height back then during covid because black people were so disproportionately affected i could go on and on for hours so grinder it's like you did all this, and you've just—you've almost entirely undone it. <laughs> it's so. I mean, I—I I guarantee you, I guarantee you, the, the some of the people, if not all the people, who were behind those programs, uh, left the company during this layoff. I shouldn't speculate, uh, but I—that's I, I, my theory. Welcome to Lee to B, where we speculate. You know, mm-hmm. also gay men speculating—that never happens. Never heard that before. 
We're gonna go back to the gay stuff, but like like you said, lead it be. So we'll get to the gay stuff again a little later. Let's let's just dive into some B two B stuff people want to hear. So community marketing. What does a community marketer actually do? Um. I would love to know. When you find out, tell me. Um, but, so, well, a community marketer, it, in the context of B2B, um, it's, a, it's a big umbrella term that I think is really important to look at the stage of the business to define on what the community marketer is doing. Um, I typically work of early stage startups. So um, community marketing is typically through the goal of achieving more brand awareness, audience building. Um, I live in the world of dark social. I live in the dark funnel. A lot of partnerships. Um, the plays are built with getting adoption, early adopters specifically. Um, think of like every user as an investor at the stage businesses that I work with. Um, we're not necessarily looking for revenue. We're looking for viability. We're looking for um, people signing up and people coming back after signing up, right, at these stages. Because we want everything's how do we impress investors to get more money at this stage. So as a community marketer, my goal is more eyes, more feedback, more throwing darts and seeing what sticks, using that data to inform the rest of the businesses product roadmap and decisions um, and kind of connecting the dots between seemingly unrelated things that only somebody who has studied sociology, anthropology, and psychology and the lens of marketing would understand. That is a long sentence. I'm fully aware of it. I'm a community marketer, not an author. So um, that, uh, <laughs> like the, so like that is, and then that is the shortest, most jumbled way I can explain it. Um, there's a lot of different definitions depending on the problem you're trying to solve. So you're going to ask the same question to Zoe Hartsfield, Nick Bennett, and Daniel Smeha, and you're going to get a completely different, equally accurate answer. So I hear the term social selling a lot, too. Are those overlap yes. terms? Do they interchange? Where do you see community ver marketing versus social selling? Well, the reason I think you hear a lot of community marketers talk about social selling is because a lot of community marketers discovered or fell into the role because they were good social sellers. Um, that's not true for all of us. There's a lot of community marketers that just get it really well. And um, But regardless of how they became community marketers, we all understand that our job sits before demand gen in the funnel, which also means we sit before social selling in the funnel so everything we do can be measured in um you know like you have a lot of experience in demand gen if you want to know if something's working you can pull up a piece of software that tells you open rates click-through rates read-through rates you can look at the uh, the pipeline in salesforce or hubspot from lead creation all the way to demo booked and closed i live before even that data becomes a thing right so i'm like i've pulled this lever lee's been doing a, B, and C for 90 days. If I pulled this lever, if Lee keeps doing A, B, and C for another 90 days, is Lee going to see better results as effect of what I did before what Lee does in the funnel? So if social selling, that's another way for me to measure this. Social selling is another um, experimental path as well because a lot of social sellers are just like one-to-one -one hand combat versions of what a community marketer is doing, which is why I shout out to Mac Redden over at Comsor for coining the term community development representative, which is basically an SDR that only does social selling. Mac also came up with go-to-network, which I think people also think is replacing go-to-market, which it's not. But go-to-network is network? basically... 
the umbrella of everything we just discussed. It's that networking event. It's the making friends at scales. It's social selling, community marketing, dark funnel, and dark social all put into one. Um, dark social too. What is your definition of dark social? Well, um, for those who know what dark funnel is, right? It's that part of the funnel that like you can't pop up Salesforce and HubSpot and export to report on, right? Dark social is the part of the dark funnel that just happens to be on social media. Um, so I can't tell you why people like to post with a spreadsheet. I can just say based on comments and doing this for 15 years, I have a good hunch as to why. Or I know when I pull this lever, this happens. And when I don't pull that lever, that doesn't happen. Um, I know that when I pick a post with a carousel on social, I know that carousels increase read time. Don't get me wrong. But I can't tell you why the click-through rate all of a sudden went up. I just know that when I do a carousel, sometimes the click-through rate goes up more often than when I don't do a carousel and I just do a static image. Couldn't tell you why. My guess is that it's because of the increased read time. But there's no statistics proving that. It's just anecdotal. And it's it's different for every every person, every company. I've run carousel ads that Mm -hmm. work wonders for companies, and then I've worked, I've done carousel ads that just could get completely ignored. Oh, and then also, what I'm doing is in the world of organic, right? You could be wrong. Have done a lot. I I do both. I do paid and organic. But yeah, you're you're talking organic here. Yeah, measuring what I just said changes when you throw money behind it, and then. If it's paid, is it paid in the sense like you took a post and boosted it? Or was it intended to be an ad itself? Or is this an influencer ad where you're just putting money behind an organic algorithm? And then to make things more complicated, now that LinkedIn has this feature, you can do both at the same time with the same post. So everything we said is not getting easier. It's actually getting more complicated. Yeah, I mean, everything is so complicated. So many B2B professionals just find the whole notion of building a community to be complicated, jarring. What would your first steps be for somebody who was looking to just dip their toes in community marketing for their org uh, or just trying to learn how to do this? Uh, there's a, there's enough people, 10 years ago, I probably couldn't say this, but now I can. There's enough people out there that have been doing this for a while listen to them, watch them, learn from them. But when you do that, like I mentioned earlier, know the stage of the business. What's going to work at a later stage company and community might not work at an early stage company. No, I bet it wouldn't even be possible. Um, what Daniel's doing over at Apollo, like there's no way in hell my client work life can even come to one-tenth of that with the resources and the bandwidth that we have, right? And our goals are different. Apollo wants more dollars in the door. We want more users. We want more eyes, right? We don't know what where the dollars are going to come from yet. We're still trying to figure that out. We don't even have product market fit, you know? Um, so community marketing, first step is learn what your goals are and learn how that changes what community marketing is. And you'll learn that by just listening to and watching multiple community marketers in action. The good news is all of us are loud with giant egos and personalities. So follow us on LinkedIn. We're all over the place. It's not hard to find. Um Second thing is uh, learn a lot from B2C. A lot of what community marketers do is not new news. It's just new to B2B. That's why it's so trendy right now. Everything that I'm talking about, Coca-Cola and Pepsi, Taco Bell, Macy's, 
or every B2C and D2C brand, Casper, Target, Walmart, Amazon, they've been doing this for years, for years. So, so I'm not doing anything new. We're just doing it in the lens of B2B because let's, let's be honest, B2B, everything in marketing and B2B is about justifying the cost and the spend. And when you're talking about dark funnel and dark social, which is the majority of a community marketer's day, and any data they do have is anecdotal or hunches or connecting the dots, it makes it really hard to justify the marketing. So um, learn how to trust your marketers because Coca-Cola has been doing a fine job of trusting their marketers. Um, I need all these B2B tech companies to catch up. Yeah, I mean, trust is such a big thing, but part of it too is, is knowing what you don't know. And the best C-suite people I've worked with um, they say, hey, we're not marketers, we're not salespeople, we trust them, we go to them. Those are the people who I see succeed, who hire the people that know what they don't. <laughs> I am laughing, by the way, because we've been recording for, what, about 20 minutes, and yes. I don't think or know if there's a video element to this show, but I can see behind your head a painting of Squidward. I have the exact same painting. No way. This is the only painting I've ever purchased. It's, it's in my kitchen. No way. See, this is why gays need to roll together. We can have this as a video component, Mania. But like, yeah. Just this part. Nothing Only else. picture I've ever purchased is, is the Squidward picture. I forget I have... the name of it. I'm a bad SpongeBob person now. It has a, it has a special name. I'm going to Google it. I, I, I know it's kind of name. I can't remember either. Um, but yeah, I have the exact same. You're not a marketer if you don't have meme art, at least somewhere in your home. At least one. I have a lot of memes. A lot. I have um, bold and brash is a painting yes. made by Squidward, hoping to remember, impress an art critic. It first appears remember, in the episode "Artist Unknown." Remember the wild thornberries? Yes. How could I forget okay. Nigel Thornberry? I have Nigel, but it's his face photoshopped over. Um, was it Kim Kardashian when she broke the internet with like the glass on her ass and like the drink oh, over? Oh yes. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember the caption, but it's something like in his accent written out. Um, I'll have to send you a picture of it. I have I have memes all over my apartment. Yeah. If first of all, if you don't, if you're in marketing and don't use memes, like I don't know where what you're doing. Um, plus, Nickelodeon is just full full of them. I was uh, definitely a Nickelodeon kid more than a Disney kid. I don't know about you. What about Cartoon Network? Not really. Like, um, remember how Cartoon Network, a lot of the shows are very, like, action-packed oriented. Samurai Jack, yeah, Codename Connect Door. I, I never really got into that genre of cartoons. I was also more of a live-action kid. Um, so, like, I, like, gravitated towards, like, iCarly, Sam and Cat, Victoria's, Zoe 101, Drake and Josh, shows like that. I was really into to, to, to the live-action sitcoms. There's very few animated television shows that I watched as a child. It's actually, I probably watched more animated television as an adult than I did as a child. One show that just really, really lives up, I've been re-watching it when there's nothing to do late at night, That's So Raven still lives up, still funny. I haven't watched it in a long time. I just remembered... Um, it was very there, there were some there were some episodes in there that are actually quite ahead of its time for when it came out, to be completely honest. Um, also, every gay person was like when Raven Simonia came out, we were like, not surprised. <laughs> like, no, we were all like, we knew. Go Raven. We, <laughs> we knew, and we love that. Um, also, I love how like every queer person knew it was Raven Simonia since day one. I didn't. Not Raven Simone. Okay, well then. Lee, thanks. You ruined it for everybody. It's just I, every I believed, village. <laughs> I believed what I was told, and I was told it was Raven Simone. 
This is why you I was speak sitting up there early. at the TV yelling at the TV because I'm like, Mickey, stop saying it wrong. Like <laughs> One thing Disney's very good at is is engagement, which brings me to my next question. And you see what oh, I God. did there? Let's talk about engagement. How do you keep the community engaged and active? Especially many times these industries aren't the most exciting or they're typically very serious. So we've built the community. How do we keep them active? How do we keep them engaged? I uh, So... Keep a brain tone of voice that's not stuffy and boring. And I think when I say that, some people interpret that as, oh, so we have to be like high energy and jovial and fun and loud and rock and roll and all that. And I'm like, that's one option. Sure. But um, there's there's multiple different takes. You just the goal. The point is just not to be a boring blue chip kind of company from the low 2000s. Um, have a personality, have an ethos. I always say your brand tone of voice should be designed the way you would design a character for a sitcom. It, it should really be a described the same words that you use to describe a human being. Even if you never use the name, give the tone of voice a name. C- come up with what that, if, the, if it was a person, what would they look like? What would they do for fun? What were their hobbies? What clothes would they wear? What brands would they like? Right? Come of a whole personality. You're never going to touch or use any of what I just said in the content, but it gets you into the frame of mind of like, what does our brand feel like? We all have a person in our life that is just a really good time to be around. That's your goal is to be that. That's so you want to do that and then marry that with an amazing product and service that people keep coming back for more and you'll get the engagement you want. Um, also, of course, consistency. But I think people think consistency means like you have to do a certain cadence the whole way through. Consistency means exceeding your minimum your minimum bar that you have at all times, never going below that. Doesn't mean you have to post every day at 9 a.m. It just means you're, if you're committing to posting at least once a day, you post at least once a day. Some days might be nine, some days might be one. But you're consistent at at least once a day. I I love making a character. It's like the like the next step of the persona. Remember like years ago when everyone was like it's it's like Sale Sally and everyone got excited. I think oh God. <laughs> I think making a character makes so much sense. I think for listeners, your assignment is if your company or your brand was a character, who would it be? And that's that's <laughs> also, your like, assignment. Have fun with it. And it, and and the and like learn from B to B to C and learn from entertainment. Like the amount of YouTubers that are doing so well. And let's be honest, the only value some of them are adding is relatability. And by that I mean like, oh my god, thank God somebody else thinks this too. I don't feel I feel a little less delusional or whatever the word you want to use there is. Um, and they're they're adding entertainment value. Not everyone's had an educational value. So when businesses talk about building value, they go, okay, release a white paper with tips on how to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, sometimes building value means make me laugh. Make me feel heard. It doesn't mean teach me. That gets exhausting. People don't want to be lectured at. Speaking of being lectured at. Have you ever had to deal with a community member who might have went a little little overboard or was lecturing other people or was posting Only every day always. in the community? What do you do? How do you how do you steer them on the right course or deal with that situation? 
I've been very fortunate to be um, in a situation where if you attract the right people into your community, these people will kind of destroy themselves. If, if that makes sense, like other people be kind of annoyed by them and then they'll lose traction within that community and then they'll kind of weed themselves out. Um, the only time a community manager or community marketer should really intervene is when it's problematic. There's discrimination or uh, like in malice being had. Um, hijacking the community and just having a bit of an overzealous bit of a behavior are two different things. One will they weed themselves out on. The other is when you kind of have to have a check-in with them and just kind of like... The first thing I do is like I have like a... If we're talking about like a Slack community play, for example, you know, like here's a reminder of like what the community rules are and kind of hope they take the hint. And then the second play is like... Just messaged you because we've just have had some reports from people regarding X, Y, and Z. Here's just a friendly reminder as our community guidelines. Please make sure you're following all of them in order to keep using this community. And then strike three is I don't have strike three. I just get rid of the person. You don't want to be that person. You don't want to be that person who's kicked out of community for, for being that, that person. Yeah, especially And it's hard to do. A... It's hard to do. Oh, yeah, very. And especially when you talk about a bordered community and not like one on social. Because people think, like, on social, you have this larger audience. You might have a larger audience, but you have, like, a large audience in the sense that, like, there's a lot of people around you when you're staying in Times Square, New York. Nobody cares, even though they can see you. Nobody cares about you. But when you're in a Slack community, you have a bit of a more um, of a magnifying glass on you and a spotlight every time you do anything. So, you know, doing something in front of a thousand people on LinkedIn is weirdly less destructive than doing something in front of a hundred people in a Slack community. Because those people are there with an intention. 900 of that thousand on LinkedIn might just be scrolling aimlessly. And just, this happens to cross their feed. So they're not going to care or read into it. So, I think also some people feel braver in a Slack community to voice their opinion than they do in a LinkedIn community. Because their employer can see LinkedIn, but if, if their employer's not in the Slack community, they're less likely to see it and therefore care. Even if that's not 100% true. Um, so, uh, it's actually kind of one of the things I tell always rich companies is like, if you do do a Slack community, just mentally prepare yourself. There's like a whole different host of chaos that you might sign up for that doesn't always happen the same way as on social. So this is a lot on community marketing. I think, I think it's time to get back to some, some gay stuff. I mean, everything I just said was with a gay lisp, so I think uh, well, that made it gay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know if that's true. <laughs> There's an insert gay grumble. Um, <laughs> right. So, again, one of the reasons I wanted you to be my first guest, you're, you're one of my favorite people on LinkedIn. You're, I'm you're so super, sorry your bar is that low. <laughs> you're, no, you're, you're super outspoken about, about gay rights. Um, you know, you inspire a lot of other people to start posting about that. A lot of other people might say, though, like, this is political issues. It doesn't belong on LinkedIn. Why do you feel yeah. it's important that, that it does belong on LinkedIn and it should be discussed? Um, everything is inherently personal. And, and a lot of the things that affect a person's life affect them at work. And politics affects people's lives. So, therefore, it affects them at work. Also, businesses, um, while they're not people, still have to bend to the whim of politics in order to function and survive. And they get affected as well. So I don't think that there is a way to view business, personalized, and politics as siloed um, without, and I, and I do mean this in the most disrespectful, offensive way possible, without sounding like a complete babbling idiot. 
it's 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 illogical, objectively speaking, to silo them. Now, compartmentalizing is a good way to approach them, tackle them on, talk about them, come up with solutions, list goes on. So please don't take it as like I'm saying you can't compartmentalize. That's healthy. There's also a time and a place. Um, LinkedIn is the time and the place. But I'm not here to tell you if you are in that time and place in your life. So I know people that agree with me that actually have unfollowed me temporarily at times just because they're going through something in their life right now that like anything that might evoke an intense emotional response is just not helpful for them in that moment. And that's fine. I'm the same way. You'll notice that when I'm in a bad mood, my content gets lighthearted actually because I will fester if I make my content darker. And when I'm in a good mood, my content gets more serious and more political um, because I'm able to to put up with the, the inevitable discourse that happens as a result. So knowing your own limitations is helpful. Um, I, I unfollowed every single news site during COVID because every t- it was just the bombardment of bad news. News so, fatigue. Same thing. Yeah, it was called news yeah. fatigue. Every, uh, me too. Like, I'm like, why am I so depressed every day? And it's because I'm yeah. spending so 12 hours complaining. reading news. The people complaining about politics on LinkedIn, I would say, like, I would question if, are you actually bothered by politics being on LinkedIn? Because almost always, the people have also always engaged with other political content recently when I go and look at their profiles. And it's and it's not like, oh, well, maybe everyone they're agreeing with a different side of the political spectrum. Actually, a lot of the time they do agree with a lot of things that I agree with. Um just not this one time or whatever the case may be. So it's a bit puzzling, but then it occurred to me over time, like, oh, this person doesn't have a good, healthy relationship with the internet or social media. Um, so uh, maybe if they weren't constantly exposing themselves to this, this wouldn't feel so jarring, and maybe this would become the time and the place um, for them. So so I always keep that in mind. My re- Your reaction to a post or content on the internet, on TV, whatever the case may be, says more about you than it does about the content. Um so uh, if if what I'm posting is causing you to have an emotional reaction, good, bad, negative, whatever the case may be, that's on you to figure out the why. My content is not built for telling you why you feel the way you do. My content is just to evoke something, whatever that something may be. Mm-hmm. And the, the thing is, gay people need to see what I call positive queer content, and it needs to be everywhere. Because yeah. we need to establish ourselves as, as positive. What the other side likes to do is make sure there's no representation of positive experiences. Because if you don't know gay people yourself, if you don't know trans people, it's a lot easier to, to hate them or be scared of them. Which is exactly why we need outspoken people like yeah. Evan shouting on LinkedIn or Twitter or X or the cruise the he's on, whatever he's doing. Um, <laughs> So, I think I want to go ahead. Sorry, I was going to say that my my one of the things that upsets me about the whole representation topic is that like I think it's at Harvard. I can't think it's Harvard or some other college like Harvard did a study where they took, um, they 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 put a bunch of they, they did two studies regarding representation. One was in the form of it took two hundred white people, one hundred white people that were self-proclaimed avidly racist and the other 100 that were self-proclaimed like didn't have a problem with black people right and the there was like 90 something percent i can't it was like two years ago i remember reading this 
about how the white people that didn't claim to be racist were also more likely to like be be fans of people like Rihanna, Nicki Minaj, Beyonce, and well, they who's knew not more. a fan of those people. People of bad taste, mm. but and racist apparently. Um, but like they were also able to speak in slightly more detail about them. You can be racist, but you can't. No, sorry, you can't be racist. I'm kidding, obviously. Disclaimer. But you can be <laughs> racist. You can't tell me that "Irreplaceable" by Beyonce is not a bop. That's okay. a bop. It's, it's it's stuck in my head now. I don't care yes. how racist you are. That's a bop. <laughs> well, they found that like they were more likely to just know more details about them. Whether, whether or not they were avid fans, right? And, like, they knew that Rihanna was a business mogul, right? They knew more than just her music, right? And people that were racist knew less about the same people. Um, so representation, and they've done so many more studies, representation has is correlated with having a more accurate and healthier perception of a group of people. So... This also has an impact on the identity you're referring to themselves. So as a gay person, um, I want other queer people um, to see that, like, I'm so sick and tired of content about a gay person that's, like, miserable and unhappy and not successful and not doing well. And it's not that that isn't important, and it's not that that doesn't exist, but I want to see gay people that are doing well. I want to say gay people that have successes. I want to say gay people that have a happy, healthy lifestyle. In addition to not in lieu of the sad stories, um, because I want to address the problems, but I also want to see where we could be as well. I don't want just sob stories. I want to see the gay person that's This goes back to doing great queer content. Um, my boyfriend and I complain about this all the time. Look up a gay movie or you go to for Pride. Everything is about lesbians quivering and dying from persecution or, or men dying from AIDS or being beaten up. Like, <laughs> or suicide or yeah. drug use. Yeah. And just give me gay people in normal scenarios. Give me gay people that are just doing normal things. Also, not everything about gay people, like, N nothing against gay men that love to like work in the makeup industry. There's there's a lot of shows now about that now. But like, I want to see the show about the gay man who became a plumber. I want to see the show about the gay man who decided to be the stay at home a dad in a white picket fence and two point five kids in a Subaru in Naperville, Illinois. I really would like to see it. Also, just like how do I put this? We don't have to be the, the, the our orientation. Also, doesn't have to be the focal point of everything that we do. I do think that it needs to be the focal point more often than straight people to compensate for the decades of straight being the default. So mm -hmm. any straight people are like, I wonder why it's being shoved down my throat. That's how we have felt for centuries. Yeah. So you're just getting a Costco tasting. And the the thing is, not not everybody wants to hear it or is as okay with people who are out as and I don't believe in consent for gay content. I believe straight people should be. Uh, I don't. I'm sorry. I don't need your permission to be gay. Yeah. Around you. But how? How would you say? And let me see how to phrase it. <laughs> how do you balance being as outspoken with maintaining some of like the the business relationships and communities and brand work you do? Um, I, one, uh, I don't write anything out of anger. I will draft things out of anger, but I won't hit post <laughs> out of anger. Um, two, um, I'm not trying to be friends and work with everybody. I, I'm not. My content's not for everybody. Madison Butler is really good at coining that term over and over again, so much so that I love it when I wanted a tattoo. But, um, I, 
I don't care if somebody doesn't want to work with me because they disagree with me politically. If anything, I take it as a, as a, as a massive relief. Um, I would rather make less money um, and work with less people it, um, if that was the cost. However, in my lifetime, the more I've leaned into what I said... Um, my income has skyrocketed. <laughs> so, um, humble brag, went from making less than poverty, the poverty line, to now making over a quarter of a million in three years, annually, without a college degree, because of ignoring the advice I was told about, well, what if somebody doesn't want to work with you because you're talking too much about politics or um, polyamory or being gay in detail on LinkedIn. I'm like, I'm actually making more money as a result of that. Thank you very much. Yeah, and I think what you find, too, is is people in general tend to be so happy that you're being authentic and they want to support yeah. that. Um, and there is that small, like, minority, and that that's always going to be there. But to your point is, you don't want to work with them anyway. It's saving you I'm going to find out later, right? So, like, let's rip the Band-Aid off. Let's find out now. As gay people, we, we are really comfortable with, like, I, I can't speak for you, I guess, but, like, most gay people that I know are really comfortable when, like, on a first date, we will figure out, do you want to get married eventually? Do you want to have kids eventually? Do you want to own a house eventually? Are you monogamous or polyamorous? We figure it all out in the first five minutes. You were talking about this on your LinkedIn live show, Across the Ponds and Over the Rainbows. Yes. By the way, when does that air? When should people tune in for that? When does it air? <laughs> when every Wednesday at three PM Eastern, or whenever the hell me and Ashley feel like it. That's all right. We'll, we'll do that again. Says. We'll do that again. When does it air? <laughs> Please keep both takes. All right, we're gonna keep every both Wednesday takes. at three. Evan is so Eastern. authentic that we're not even gonna edit things out here, people. Uh, well, because the show across the pond over the rainbow is also not edited. <laughs> it's done live, so mm-hmm. well, it's a live show. Yeah. But anyway, so you were saying yesterday that that gay people just tend to make great marketers and, and salespeople. We don't have statistics yeah. here right now. Um, we have. I would love for there to be somebody who does a study about this. <laughs> Maybe Grindr can do the, the, do the statistics. Sponsored no, by Grindr. I wouldn't trust them anymore. I wouldn't trust them. <laughs> but why, do you, why do you think it is that like, the gays just make great marketers and salespeople and they get shit done? I think it's for the same reasons that like... We love drama. We love horror films. We love camp. We love glamour for the same reasons, you know? Like, it's, it's, you know, when you, when you dealt with the, the, the... Drama and trauma. Right? Well, when you've dealt with the drama and trauma of having an identity crisis as a child, which every single queer person can relate to, with or without an accepted environment, regardless of how you were taught about gender orientation, it is still a slap in the face from reality to go, oh, I am different than everybody else. And we're a couple of generations away from this no longer being the thing. And I think we're getting there. Like, a lot of Gen Alpha, they're like, what do you mean you came out? Coming out's a thing, like like which is a good. I, I love that coming out is no longer a thing in the eyes of Gen Alpha, um, which by the way, Gen Alpha is like up to age fourteen. By the way, now so like get ready for that fact. So I didn't know they had um, a name yet. Yeah, Gen Alpha is the the generation currently being born. <laughs> um, they're in elementary school and middle school right now. Um, but the the thing that I think makes us better in time to- at times on on average. I'm not saying by default is the fact of, like, the reason we like that stuff is because, like, it's overcoming something. We're seeing somebody else go through something we can relate to. And once you've already been through the the 
coming out of the closet and having an identity crisis as a result of it. And then um, a lot of millennial gay men and obviously like later Gen Z gay men, we did get the opportunities to come out as teenagers from maybe like early 20s. But we didn't practice being gay men till our 20s or our 30s. So we so like, oh, great. So you have the intellectual maturity of a, of a grown adult, but you still have the emotional maturity of a 12-year-old because you were not given the opportunity to practice being who you were until 21 years old. And then we wonder why, like, there's all these certain social issues within our own community. That's where it is. By the way, we blame straight cisgender people for that problem still to this day. But I think when you overcome that, it makes things like marketing, getting on a podium, getting on that soapbox, being creative, creating things in general. I think that just becomes a cakewalk at that point. Also, I'm not supposed to say that phrase anymore, by the way, because I just found out actually last week that's has racist roots. <laughs> I just realized that. You can keep that in, by the way, because I am a big fan of the accountability. Well, we have to explain it, it now. Cakewalk. Why? Why is it? Yeah, I can't remember years? the reason why. I just remember that it's got like racist roots, kind of like how the phrase um, uh, peanut calorie is racist. Well, so here I'm reading that some secondhand accounts of the cakewalk describe it as a subtle mockery of the formal mannered dancing practiced by slaveholding whites. Yeah, that's what it was. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So sorry for using that word. Got to make sure I get that out of my vocabulary. And but so the peanut, point... Let's see peanut gallery. I'm so interested. Why is peanut gallery? I the, I, if I remember correctly, that's where um, it was like during segregation of theaters. That's where black people would sit. Back then and um, during the, the Jim Crow era. cheapest seats in a theater. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so uh, yeah, trying to make sure I don't use those two words. Two phrases. But... Just learn something. Two <laughs> phrases that we should all stop using is Absolutely. peanut gallery and, and cakewalk. cakewalk. But the, um, the point still remains, though. It, it makes it easier and more digestible and approachable to do those big feats when you've already done such a large feat. I think that's really the root of it. And then all of our idols, every queer icon is creative. Even like Alan Turing. I just had a post today at the time of recording this talking about how we like get he decoded the German Nazi Enigma code, right? That's the imitation game for the straight people. <laughs> and of course we rewarded the man by offering him either imprisonment or chemical castration because being gay was illegal, which is a great prize apparently for saving the planet. Um, and, and trigger warning, he did democracy. kill himself, right? He did kill himself two years later. Yes. Imitation um, game people. As a result of, ho- uh, as a result of a homophobia, so definitely straight people killed him. Mm-hmm. Um, you heard it here, but uh, I think like, but Alan had to be, what do we call it? Oh yeah. Creative to do that. Being intelligent wasn't enough. He had to be resourceful and creative. Right. So when we think of the history, it's not just creative in the sense of Billy Porter, shout the Billy Porter, amazing, talented human being. But like all of our idols and icons are incredibly creative. And I don't think straight people have that same level of icons being creative on a per capita basis. They're just intelligent or nepo babies. And there are some that are creative. But in the queer world, it's like the vast majority of our icons were self-made and or creative. In addition to everything I just said, not in lieu of, which I can't say the same thing about the cishet world. It's going to be a jarring <laughs> shift here, but it goes so perfect because it's time for our next segment here. Which oh my is goodness. Spill the tea with Lee. I nope. hate tea, though. Well, we don't actually have. Well, that's why we're spilling it. It's not sipping it. 
Um, oh, that's great. Okay. I don't know how we're going to outdo our conversation already, but Spill the Tea with Lee is where we spill the tea on all things B2B. That's right. This is the sassiest podcast for B2B, and we like to keep it juicy. We just do. So, so Evan. She lives as juicy. We, actually, we, we can't afford the right. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> I'm unemployed. I can't afford Lizzo. So we said Lizzo, we name dropped uh, Billy Porter, but Evan, you're known as the Joan Rivers of B2B. Self-proclaimed. Uh, Self-proclaimed, but that's okay. Also, so you have to say it in one word, though, no spaces, so I don't get sued by somebody in our estate. But yes. Joan Rivers of B2B. <laughs> there you go, thank you. <laughs> so, since we're spilling the tea here, can you share a hilarious moment or quip or rebuttal from your career that Joan would be proud of? Uh, oh, God, not on the fly, probably not. I don't know. <laughs> take a breath. Take a breath. You can the... <laughs> well, I will say that I recently got into a bit of a kerfluffle, um, a, also a recent word I've learned, um, with a certain somebody who shall rename nameless because the kerfluffle is still technically kind of going on, where I made a post talking about minimum wage. And the post is no longer out there, not because of backlash, but because I didn't feel like dealing with it anymore. <laughs> and um, the post was talking about um, how if minimum wage had kept up with the cost of living and inflation and economic growth in the United States, it would be roughly 27 to $28 per hour if it kept up with all three factors. On average, obviously some cities, some places might be different. So on average, United States... So I was saying, if the average BDR is making $55,000 a year base salary now, um, up from the forty-five fifty that it used to be pre-pandemic, or pre-ponder replay, pre-pandemic Levada, whatever we're calling it this week. Um, I say BC effect- before COVID. <laughs> Fair enough. I like that. <laughs> oh, I got a really bad one for um, for uh, AD, but I'm not going to do that. Um, so no- <laughs> But the, um, the, 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 sorry, you really threw me for that one. That was good. Um, what really annoyed me was like those jobs, being an SDR or BDR is not an entry level role in itself. Like there's still more skills to be one than you need to be a hamburger flipper at McDonald's. No offense, but offense intended. And so, so you're not going to get 16 year olds, and 17 year olds applying for it. Right. So therefore the 16, 17, 18 year olds, they should be getting that minimum wage job then of 27 something per hour with this logic. Right. And you're asking for just to sign a number, 25% more skills. Let's just say that's the number, right? Why is the role not getting 25% more pay than what minimum wage should be if it's that? And then people go, well, how can a business perform viably? Because that means you want the minimum wage to be basically like $75,000 for that job and 55000 for the country. And I'm like, well, if your business model is dependent, if its success is dependent on paying people, Less than a livable wage, minimum wage being fifty-five thousand, livable wage being seventy-five thousand, and that's from Purdue University, by the way. That last at, I'm like, then that's not a good business model because it's dependent on exploitation, and or lower your expectations. Maybe you're just not going to IPO in ten years. Maybe you might have to wait thirteen instead. Maybe you need to do more research into your product market fit, and your SDRs aren't the problem. Yeah, but how can you sleep at night knowing that your employees aren't financially comfortable and that's going to be in the back of their mind at work? That just, like, to me is so disgusting. Uh, it's it, it makes me nauseous and sick that there are people getting paid that amount of money in the richest country in the world. 
if if you're working a full-time job you should be making a living wage period 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 i don't know how there's anything arguing that yeah and then before someone comes into my dms going oh so you're just a socialist whatever first of all don't if you are against socialism here are some things you're not allowed to do anymore to truly be against socialism you're not allowed to walk on the sidewalk you're not allowed to drive on the road you're not allowed to go to an airport you're not allowed to touch anything that has subsidies ever so don't buy any food that has had a farm in the united states come in contact with it at any point in time don't touch anything that's ever touched a u.s sanctioned owned or defended port of call at any point in time don't touch the fire department don't you ever dare call 911 for the police don't ever go to a public hospital don't use an ambulance service it's by a public company not a private company i don't don't send your kids to public school don't use a public bus don't use public transportation the list goes on because that's how you are actually then anti-socialist because all those things are what socialism oh my god it's almost like we paid attention in second grade some of us so you learned about socialism things. in second grade if you pay attention, yeah, you would. Yeah. So well, technically, so, so I, I mean, I never learned about Jesus because that's not my religion. Um, I don't, that's not where I've ever subscribed, but yeah. Jesus was a socialist. Right? I mean, I, mean I, I grew up in an anti theist household, so, you know, my opinions on religion. But I, I, I'm a big believer that, like, that, like, it's. The, the critique isn't necessarily on capitalism. That's a completely different conversation. The I criti- also think capitalism, I, too, that, that's also the argument of if your business can't afford to pay your employees a, a living wage, your business will fail because of capitalism. And then that's part of it is what yeah. people should be saying. Exactly. So it's like before we even talk about the debate of throwing in the towel on it, it's like there are things that we can do in the current system. Um so, and also newsflash, by the way, capitalism's not the only system. We we went to capitalism after we ended feudalism, right? Mm-hmm. Eventually, the world's going to get to a point where capitalism is no longer working. And it doesn't mean that capitalism is inherently bad. It just means that and feudalism wasn't inherently bad either. It was what worked at the time. And I think that maybe not in our lifetimes, but... I think maybe the 2100s, 2200s, we might start seeing something replace this that will work better. And then there'll be another thousand years go by and then we find a new system. Because I think people forget that like humans, while we have nations and borders and countries, like feudalism worked because we didn't, that was before countries were even existed, by the way. That was back when we had kingdoms and small villages and people ruled over extremely small parts of land capitalism was invented when we had further reaches of grasp and political power right now borders are blurring right nationalism is losing its importance so we went from countries not existing at all with feudalism to countries existing and now having capitalism to now countries losing importance and now people becoming citizens in the theoretical concept, not the literal concept of like the UN, the EU, NATO. These alliances are almost like the next rung on the ladder now, right? So that's why I tell people like, I'm not trying to say screw America. I'm not trying to say screw capitalism. I'm just saying, just like you go to the doctor, assess, is this still the best option? Mm -hmm. It was, it isn't anymore. We talk about <laughs> yeah. real issues on Beetling. Yeah, and also my favorite thing is with gay people, we can talk about this without anybody getting their feelings hurt because we understand that these conversations are necessary and uncomfortable. Cishet people, oh, it's like a gun to the head. It's it's they're freaking out. 
So I want some more B2BT right here. Um, it's network. It's it's networking season. It's event season. You you've been to your fair share. Mm-hmm. I'll take a break has, this year. <laughs> what has been a, a tea spilling moment at one of these events that you've ever attended? Could be I, expo, I, I will, a dinner. I, I'm gonna save some names. Oh, save the names. We don't name names here, <laughs> unless we do. <laughs> No, some of these we need to save the names for later. <laughs> you can know off the recording. <laughs> but um, a lot of people that y'all call allies in face-to-face are extremely homophobic. Um, uh, and in in the most subtle but yet disgusting ways, my favorite's like, you know, you, you're you sitting at a booth at a bar with like, you know, it's like this, it's sass. There's already like a, um, you know, disproportionate large amount of men over women to begin with. So like, I'll be at a booth of like six or seven other men in this bar and like a man will come up and, and like, like, Hey, do you guys want to get um, drinks? And it won't be just that phrase. It'll be like, Hey, name, 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 name. Do you want to do a shot with me? And it's like every name other than you. It's, it's like the scene in uh, Austin Powers where um, Dr. Evil doesn't want to like, tell Minnie me to leave so he's like not mm-hmm. you guys not you guys with a big wrench and not you guys sitting down. oh and then i'm like oh and then and then you get that one they get that one person that goes well maybe it's just because it's not a big fan of you and it's not because you're gay five minutes later hey i'm gonna go for a smoke break do you 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 and you want to join me and then this time it's you and the only other gay person mm-hmm. are not named mm-hmm. so it's like we can tell us queers can tell we know we know when it's us and we know when it's us being queer we can tell the difference um all of my favorite to all of the men that were making like jokes about women misogynistic as hell jokes right and then like one did if i assume i didn't try to cut it out and i would make a joke about a gay joke they're all laughing evan makes a gay joke crickets crickets it happens all the time. So, um, I there's like I, there's like nine sales influencers in B two B SaaS that are absolutely misogynistic pigs behind closed doors or off the internet, very homophobic, and also the amount of people that I saw cheating on their spouses when I was at these events, ridiculous. Especially like as a polyamorous gay man, I'm just like just laughing hysterically in three different entendres. So, you know, there's a lot see of that. how many babies are born like nine months after Dreamforce and Saster. That's that that's an interesting situation. Well, okay, so like what so it's like it's it's September, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm I somebody did, we got two homosexuals on a, on a on a on a stream here, so we're both terrible at math. Yeah. Nine <laughs> months after September. <laughs> June. J- no, yes, yes, June. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Wait, I was born in June. Yeah, we're both June. We're just. Mm. I mean, my parents. June twenty third. So I'm fourteenth. Oh, uh, my! I share uh, it with Donald Trump. That, right? Yeah. Ooh. Well, we Ooh. got some, we got we got kind of negative, but I wanna I wanna end with some positivity. <laughs> I was positive about every negative thing I said. Th- that is true, but what what's one piece of advice you'd give to LGBT people who? want to embrace their true selves in b2b and then what's one advice you'd give to an organization on on how to actually support people not just change your logo to rainbow but (laughs) but what can organizations actually do yeah for the the individual find your tribe 
And you probably have heard it before, but I think people tend to limit that to their personal lives. And to be clear, we're not talking about gay tribes when he says... (laughs) No, no, no. We're talking about, like, find your chosen family. Um, Find... You have your life outside of work, right? And um, find the people in work, too. Find find the equivalents. Um, Ashley Early is, like, my my corporate best friend. I love her and care about her no more, no less than I do about my, than my, my not work best friends. And most of our conversations have nothing to do with work. Um, but there's, but I say work because like, that's how we met. And like in lieu of like me and my best friend in real life, when we hang out, we go to karaoke night with her. When we hang out, we're like brainstorming content. Like that's our hobby. That's our fun time. Right. We just happen to make money off of it. So, um, so like, I think that it's really important that you extend that logic of finding your group, finding your social support system in your career um, is incredibly important. Don't just do that in your personal life. A lot of us tend to stop there. Also, don't limit it to your coworkers. And actually, if anything, um, I would try to not make it through work at all. I would try to do it through networking events. I would try to do it through social. I would try to do it through other means. Um, if you limit it to the people at your company, you're going to get, you're going to create an unintentional echo chamber and you're going to get your, you're going to set yourself up for a little bit of heartbreak later because a lot of people will be your friends out of convenience. And no matter how much you say, it's not that way. We all remember friends that we had in middle school and high school that we don't have now, not because we had a fallen out, but just because we just don't see them every day. It happens. Life happens. Right? So that's my tip for the individual. Um, for the company, yeah, don't slap the freaking Rainbow logo. If anything, I'm I'm so over the Rainbow capitalism. Um, to be clear, continue doing the the Rainbow logos. You can do the but that's not all you can do. Yeah, it's like when you leave it at that. Um, it's like if you're gonna do an ad with like stock footage, I don't care if it's stock footage or actual footage that you've taken yourself. Um, like if you if there's Include trans people, include visibly queer people, include visibly queer couples, same-sex couples, include polyamorous couples, include disabled people, include um, all types of people in your content when you're using visuals of human beings without necessarily feeling like you have to draw attention to it. Um, Amtrak does an ad all year round. I take Amtrak regularly to see my partner in Southern Illinois, and they have an ad that runs all year round that's literally... Very obviously a gay-coded gay couple in one of the pictures. Believe it or not, gay people actually exist year-round. We don't just come out during June and Pride Month. Yeah, so, and we're saying and Pride Month because there are parts of the world that don't do it during June because it's too fucking hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, by the way, could you imagine, like, so, like, June was chosen for Pride Month because Stonewall happened in June. Could you have imagined if we if Stonewall was in January? <laughs> Imagine all yeah, these we, queens. We would be Parkinson. like all at home, or we'd all just be in like Michael Kors puffy jackets. And... There's not enough discussion around the importance of the timing of Stonewall. <laughs> like, there's not enough. Although people in Phoenix, Arizona, or Atlanta, Georgia, are probably looking at us like we're crazy for this commentary right now. They probably disagree vehemently. But um, I the businesses make sure that like you're just reference this the same way you would reference straight people basically all year long. Um, hire gay people. 
queer people, LGBTQ plus people at all levels of the business, yes. by the way. Not just the um, lower levels, not just for checking a box. Have them and in not c- just for the positions. roles that are stereotypical, right? There's yes. it's queer people are specifically gay men. We are notoriously known for being in marketing and HR. But some of the best engineers I've ever met are gay. <laughs> I also know that I am trying so hard not to say the same words that I would say at a stand-up special in a gay bar right now. It's very difficult for me doing this late. There's so many slurs that I know you and me would laugh at, every gay man would laugh at, but every straight person would be like, can they say that? Like, but like <laughs> but all the queers are like, yes, we already know what he's saying. But like, like stop hiring gay people for the gay roles that we're known for specifically. Like, and also, I am unemployed. Not... Hire gay people for as many marketing jobs as you need. They're the best. Yeah, people don't to stop. Hire. I'm just saying, don't silo your efforts. <laughs> also, like, um, there's ways to like hire somebody. And now, actually, let's be honest, there's AI for this too. There's ways to make sure that your job postings aren't gender biased. Yes. Um, there's ways to inc- um open up the door for people to talk about this in the workplace. Not everybody's going to be comfortable being as openly gay as they want to be in the workplace. Some people, it's not even that they're not comfortable. They just don't care. To some people, um, being gay in the workplace is as relevant as preferring blueberry over blackberry muffins. Um, so, and that's fine. If that's the, if that's where they want to go, as long as you just cultivate an environment where like, this is normal for the person to choose to do it, then you're good. Um, Normalized pronouns and signatures. It's little tiny, tiny little moves like that go a long way. Oh, going back to the tips for marketing, by the way. Watch Drag Race. You'll learn a lot about marketing from Drag Race. About community, about say what you want about it. RuPaul made this normalized. He then got everybody excited about it. It's everywhere. Mm -hmm. It went from being something that people thought was kind of weird or gross to being the most mainstream thing possible. RuPaul is the... Is is the walking, talking marketing textbook. Like, RuPaul is a master class on branding. That's B-U-H, branding. I think RuPaul is, is probably the best place we can end it. Um, Evan, thank you so much for being the best first guest I can have. I'm so excited. I mean, you can to... only have one first guest, technically. Well, that's not true. I can have another first <laughs> guest and not tell people about it. Can you please, for the whole first season of the show, introduce everybody as the first guest? <laughs> I, I can. I mean, I can edit anything out that I don't want here. You could be no, our no, just, fifth guest. Just keep it in. Just, or no, release the edited version and the unedited version. <laughs> it's, the, it's the acoustic. <laughs> I don't have that many people who are listening to me. But, but Evan, thanks Maybe you again. have that many people. Hopefully. Evan, thanks for being the, the best first guest. I'm so excited to talk to more cool people from B2B and explore some topics. Where can people find you, Evan? What are you doing next? Can they hire you? <laughs> what, where should people find you? Uh, don't find me at my house, but if you're ever in Boys Town, Chicago, or North Halstead, or however we're calling it nowadays, you can uh, find me on LinkedIn. Maybe we can meet up. But of course, I'm on LinkedIn more than any other platform. 
Um, you can also find me every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern on Across the Pond and Over the Rainbow with my business counterpart and work wife, the only woman I'll ever marry, Ashley Early. <laughs> oh, by the way, in case people haven't figured out, yes, I am gay. That's why. Okay, great. All right. Um, and then uh, where else can people find me? I guess that's about it for now. Oh, and also hire me. I'm Fractional Community and Content Marketing you know, Services and all that fun stuff and advisor and consultant. However, make sure at the time of recording you hire Lee Moskowitz because also, by the way, I'm trying to get one of my clients to hire you actually because I would like to have a demand gen marketer that, um, what's the phrase, doesn't piss me off. We'll, we'll see. If, if I don't get this one that I'm hoping I get, I'm going freelance, I think. Well, all right, everybody hire Evan and visit him on But LinkedIn. hire Lee first. Lee, hire Lee's me unemployed. Too. <laughs> yes, th thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you next episode.